Hello everyone and welcome to the MoPod, brought to you by MoDate, where we discuss everything Mo, from modern orthodoxy to my opinions and more. I'm your host Evan Harris and we have a great guest for you today. Let's get to it. Today we're sitting down with Lisa Babish, the Robinson of the Fifth Avenue Synagogue. How are you doing, Lisa? Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. So just to give some background to our listeners, we recently, MoDate had an event partnered with a lot of different organizations at the Fifth Avenue Synagogue, which went really well, which is where I met Lisa. And so wanted to have you on the podcast as you guys are doing some exciting things and just want to make sure that everyone knows about the Fifth Avenue Synagogue. Thank you. I appreciate that. It was a great event. It was really, hopefully we made some matches that day. Yeah. I mean, the, that's all you could hope for. So let's dive into your background before we get into the shul, where you're from, and how did you get involved with the shul? Sure. So I grew up in Queens in New York. Um, and when I met my husband, we actually were both dating for a long time. Uh, my husband's nine years older than me. A lot of people don't realize that. Um, and when I met him, he was a Kirov rabbi in an organization downtown called the JC. It's like a birthright follow-up program. And um, he worked there for 13 years. And um, one day he just came home. We were living in Washington Heights near YU. We had recently gotten married, and he said, the Fifth Avenue Synagogue is looking for an assistant rabbi. I think that would work really nicely with the JEC. And, you know, we'll live in the city if we get the job, and we'll be able to have people over from the JEC. So it really started more for, like, our interests were for the JEC. And then when we came to the show, we just, we fell in love with it immediately. Um, and this really has become our passion in our life. And um, over the years, eventually the... Um, main rabbi had made Aliyah, and uh, now today my husband is the rabbi at the Fifth Avenue. Yeah, very nice. And so how did you meet your husband? So it's interesting. Um, so I was dating for a long time. I tell people my husband was my 94th shidduch date. I dated a lot of people. Um, and um, that's why I, I definitely understand, you know, the trials. I don't even know what number I was for him because, again, he's nine years older than me. He was 35. I was 26. Um and people started to mention his name a lot. They started to say, there's this guy, Ellie Babbage, he's a rabbi, I think he'd be a good idea for you. And I, I was so done. I was like, well, I'm not chasing anybody. You know, if people mention the idea, that's fine. But if it's not being set up, I'm not, I'm not going after it. And then I went away with a friend of mine for, um, I think it was for Sukkis. And I knew uh, my husband's sister, Ariella. And uh, our mutual friend said, you know, Ariella has a brother. And she asked Ariella if the brother was good for her. And um, Ariella was very honest. She said, you know, I'm not sure I see it with you and my brother. And my friend's telling me the story. And I'm thinking, I cannot believe you asked somebody if your brother was, if their brother was for you. And she said, why not? What do I have to lose? So a week later, I saw Ariella somewhere. And I said, you know what? I guess if my friend can do it, I can do it too. You know, enough people are mentioning his name. So I asked Ariella if she thought it was a good idea. And she said, actually, I do. And she set us up. The rest is history. Oh, wow. And so let's talk about the shul, right? Um, every shul has a different vibe. What would you say is the vibe and kind of the mission of the Fifth Avenue Synagogue? That's a good question. I feel like there's so many different aspects and different vibes, I guess you can say. It's so warm. And that's, I, I think... 
we want people to come into our shul and feel a really authentic Jewish experience. It is so warm. It is so loving. And I think that's what people walk away when they come. I think that's the first thing that people will notice. They come in and they always, I mean, people come and they say, I only heard about the Fifth Avenue. I didn't know what to expect. It's just, you know, it has this very um, prominent reputation, which it does. It has a beautiful history. And 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 all of that is really, you know, um, the first rabbi of the Fifth Avenue was Rabbi Jacobowitz, who went out to be the chief rabbi in the UK. It's an amazing history, the shul. But at the same time, it is so down to earth and real. And people say to me, like, what does that mean? You're in Manhattan. It's the center of Manhattan. And I say, no, it really has an out-of-town feel to it. I'm not just making it up. And you come and you feel that. I think that the people in the shul are, there's a lot of very accomplished people, but they're understated. They want to meet you as a human. It's not just, you know, about showing off and we're in Manhattan, but it's a very, very, very down to earth experience. And um, it's very warm. That's the number one thing I would say. And we really try to make it a community for everyone. We have so much amazing programming. We have been under um, construction for three years which thank God we now have this beautiful, amazing building that's about to be fully opened for the high holidays. But um, so we were a little bit on a pause with programming for a while there, but now we're back and we really, we try to have events for singles, for young married couples, for a more sophisticated crowd, history events. We have incredible speakers. We had a bunch of chief rabbis come this year to visit. We have more chief rabbis coming next year. We have amazing events for kids and children and babies we really are a place that has um something for everyone and if people i just say come and try it and you'll see for yourself you know um this past shabbos it was so nice this girl that i had somewhat connected to um said you know she walked over from the west side and it just happens to be that at the kiddish she saw some guy there that she that he thought she looked familiar and now they're, they met at the Kiddush, they're going on a date, you know? So everyone has something to get from coming to shul. Okay, that's great. And so you kind of answered this, but just wondering if you have a more specific answer, you might not, but what would you say is kind of like your target demographic? Do you have one or not necessarily? Before we get back to the episode, here's a word from our sponsors. The Mopod is sponsored by OKClarity.com. OKClarity.com is the place for any Jew no matter how from or religious you are, to find a top-notch therapist, psychiatrist, coach, or nutritionist. And it's completely free for you to use. OKClarity.com's professionals are vetted and have extensive experience working with the Jewish community. If you're in the market for a therapist, coach, nutritionist, psychiatrist, or the like, you want to check them out. If you don't find what you're looking for, they have a concierge service where you complete a short form and they will personally match you. If you are a wellness professional, I highly recommend joining their directory. Their team is amazing and professionals receive referrals effortlessly. Okay, Clarity also has an amazing WhatsApp status with over 8K obsessed followers, and yes, I am one of them. Their WhatsApp is a free way to improve your mental health and they post great humor, so you'll laugh too. If you have WhatsApp, shoot them a message at 917-426-1495. Again, that's 917-426-1495. We'll put the links to their website and WhatsApp in the show notes, so make sure to smash those links. You won't regret it. I think I think not necessarily, but not that not that people should feel like, oh, there's no place when it's just everyone. I think it's really truly a place that does cater to everyone, like I had like I said, but I really think it's true. 
um, we just have so, we're so, on any given Shabbos, you could have the most interesting guests there. You know, you can have an Israeli Knesset member sitting, you know, in the crowd. You can have a politician sitting there. You can have an aspiring actress. You can have, you know, you're in the heart of Manhattan. So, and we're also, because of where we're located, we're really close to like a lot of interesting places. We're somewhat close to Midtown, but we're on the Upper East Side, but we're on Fifth, so we're not so far from the Upper West Side. So we're kind of in this central location that brings a lot of people in. We have a lot of tourists, so you'll we'll have some of the most interesting, you know, um, people coming from all around the world. Sometimes my husband will say, oh, you know, it was interesting, Nose and Shul today. Um, who's is the owner of the Patriots? What's his name? Robert Kraft. Yeah. Yeah. So like sometimes you might even see that. I mean, there's it's it's really interesting. Um, just like a funny example of that is that we have um, a mikvah. We have an active mikvah, women's mikvah in the shul. And the um, we have amazing mikvah attendants and helpers that help out, you know, with the cleaning of the mikvah. And one time one of these ladies said, oh, my goodness, you wouldn't believe it. I saw a movie star here last night. She I, I wouldn't repeat who it was, but. It's funny because there's people who are Jewish who are totally not affiliated, but when it comes to the mitzvah of mikvah, they take it seriously. And you'll have some random, you know, movie stars coming in using the mikvah because we are again in the middle of Manhattan. So I really think there's a demographic for everyone. We have incredible children's programming. Really, it's like it's a haven for the children, for the young families. But we also have so many events for someone who doesn't have a family or if somebody's older and they're past the age of little kids, there is just incredible, incredible programming. So I really think there's something for everyone. Okay, that's great. And so you mentioned that your husband was involved in Kirov before and might still be, but I'm wondering, so you mentioned that the shul is very welcoming and I was there and I, I felt that way as well, definitely more welcoming than maybe some other shuls. And so I'm wondering, do you think that those two things have to do with each other? The idea that your husband has this background in Kirov and that the shul is more welcoming do you think there are lessons from Kirov that could apply to just speaking to Orthodox congregants? Totally. When you're in Kirov, you cannot be a judgmental person. People are so vulnerable. They're coming for the first time um, to a Jewish experience. Um, I just I remember one time we had somebody at our Shabbos table who was thinking of converting and they reached out to us and they really wanted to experience Shabbos. And he was so cute. He was after benching. My husband does this little thing where he says, he puts his hands up, thank you, Hashem, and thank you, Lisa. And the guy sitting at the table, he thought that was part of the ritual. So he starts putting his hands up. And, you know, he didn't realize that that, because he, he had so, he really didn't have an idea of what's supposed to happen at a Shabbos table. So you're meeting people at the most vulnerable stage where they feel like such an outsider and they want to know more and they're so curious, but they need to feel welcomed. And I think that that really applies in Kirov and in not Kirov. Even if somebody knows everything about Judaism that there is to know, who wants to feel judged? We're all working on ourselves. We're all learning new things about ourselves, about life. And I think that mentality of being welcoming and loving and accepting every Jew, every person for where they're at is a big part of Kirov and a big part of having a shul that people should feel welcome to come into. And I even see it with my children. I see that by them being raised in Manhattan and this experience where there's all types of people at my table, 
they also like they I say like my kids are kind of colorblind my son will go to Central Park and he'll be on the swing he was on the swing once with you know I think the child might have been a Muslim and he's talking to him about his Rebbe and what he's learning in Chumash like he has no he doesn't realize that people are different because it's this welcoming open environment so I definitely think it very much goes hand in hand okay that's great and so I I mean I maybe I just was wasn't in the scene before the construction of the Fifth Avenue synagogue because I'm 26 and so is COVID and all these things right I moved to the Upper West Side a couple of years ago but I'm wondering was the Fifth Avenue synagogue like a few years ago were you doing as many events or is that more of a a new thing yeah, um, when when we came to the shul 11 years ago, Rabbi Kermeyer was the main rabbi, and there there were so many dinners. He was fabulous, and he, I remember he brought in Naftali Bennett, and I remember him introducing him as the the future. He said, "Dare I say the future Prime Minister of Israel?" And I was laughing. I thought he was just trying to be, you know, charming and sweet, but it, you know, it was pretty uh, interesting to see that that's how it did unfold. Um, there really was a lot of programming always. But then, you know, when COVID hit, um, we actually had an amazing, um, you can find it on YouTube. Our um, president of our shul, Jacob Gold, is incredible, very talented. And he got some of the most amazing speakers. Um, it wasn't a podcast, but it was a Sunday night um, Zoom meeting over COVID. And we, we had some incredible speakers. The whole series is there on YouTube in the Fifth Avenue Synagogue channel. But um so even during COVID, we were trying to really create that programming. Me and my husband would do videos and give shirim online. But then I think it was COVID and then the construction. And the building really, the building's over 60 years old. It really needed construction. It really needed this facelift. And it's beautiful. But um, it limited us for a while because you were walking into a construction site. And you were, we were basically operating completely out of the basement. And I have to say, like, thank God for what we were given at that time. We did it, it did well, you know. Things we still had everything going, and we even did dinner still. And our staff, custodial staff, is amazing. They would quickly after davening reorganize and reship the room to make it into a ballroom for a dinner. But for sure, now that the building is opening, um, the amount of programming we can do is phenomenal. And we're also, I always say, we're very open two ideas. So lots of times members will come to us and say, I would love to do this. And I say, no problem. If you think that's a great idea and you need our help and we have to get this thing going, let's get it going. We've had an incredible IDF dinner series. We had this program with you, Modate, because Zach, our incredible cancer said, my friend is Modate. He's an incredible guy. Let's do an event for singles. And it turned out it was amazing. So we're really open to all types of programming and we hope that we can continue to do it for many years to come. Okay, that's great. And so right now, I mean, it's clear to me at least, I, maybe I just wasn't seeing it before, but it, it's clear right now that you are doing what I like to call pumping the volume with the Fifth Avenue Synagogue in the sense that you're having tons of events. You yourself are kind of entering this, this influencer world, I would say, on Instagram, you know, with the stories you know, talking into the camera, you know, that's a big thing. And so my question that has a little bit to do with that is what's the deal with the East side? And the reason I'm asking like that is because I lived on the West side, you know, it's, it's definitely a, a thing that people after 
college, moved to the the west side, right? So what is the what is the story with the east side? Like who do, are you trying to get more people to move to the east side? Do you know why more people move to the west side? What what is the deal with the east side? Okay. So first of all, the influencer thing, I have like a real love-hate relationship with Instagram. And I always say I am not an influencer, but um, I, I I don't like Instagram for many reasons. And I like it for many reasons. And I say you can't live with it. You can't live without it. Um, I think there's something that, you know, is beautiful to the idea of privacy and not showing off and not making other people jealous and not hurting people with words. And I think Instagram has a downfall in that area, but I think on the same way, it's an amazing place to share Torah ideas, to connect with people. So I've gotten more interactive on it because I even find with my congregants, it's like I see them on Shabbos, but then I get to see them during the week as well. If I speak and we get, we start getting engaged in a, in a conversation about a Torah idea, it's also a great way to get the word out for programs. Um, so I think Instagram is really important and I just think it has to be for myself. I try to tread as lightly as I as I can. I try to use certain guidelines for myself with that. But um, in terms of the east side, so it's interesting in the past few years, what I keep hearing is that people are moving a lot to the east side. I think traditionally um, the west side was a lot more orthodox. There are a lot of shuls on the west side and um, there's a lot of from Jews on the west side and the east side was always a little bit more secular. Um, uh, you know, you didn't see many amicas on the east side. You didn't see many outwardly looking Jews. And there weren't that many major shuls. There was Park East of, in the Orthodox realm. There was Park East, there was Fifth Avenue, there was KJ. But it wasn't, you know, as booming as the upper west side in that sense. And in the past few years, I guess over COVID, there's been a shift. Um, I have a few theories why I, I know that maybe some people feel that the east side has gotten a little bit cleaner. Um, you know, there's more going on in the west side in terms of however the city has changed. I think there's a few reasons why, but um, the east side has been getting a lot more people. And I say, like, when if you walk down Fifth Avenue on Shabbos afternoon, you will see it's like the place to walk now. People, you see people in yarmulkes, you see, you know, orthodox people moving strollers. So it's definitely something I didn't see three, four, five years ago. Um, it's it's definitely, you know, there's a lot of shuls now on the east side. There's a ton, and there's a whole Syrian community, Safra's around the block from us, um, that's booming. There's so such a large Syrian community on the upper east side. And there's just, there's I guess there's a lot more going on here. So I do find that a lot of people from the upper west side are moving to the east side, but I still think the upper west side is probably more more orthodox Jews on the east side but there's definitely a lot going on on the east side now okay very nice and with specifically fifth avenue synagogue what are you what are your goals would you say like now construction is about to end soon right and so what do you hope to happen with the shul so what we hope to happen for the shul is that it should just continue to be a thriving exciting community that people can find their place in um you know it's it, it's so meaningful for us to develop these deep connections with people, to be here for people during their good times, their hard times. You know, for Shabbat meals, we're always having people over to teaching classes. We love teaching um, and to just being there for people. You know, it's people's lives are hard. Things aren't always glamorous. Things can be very challenging at times. And 
there's, you know, nothing I think more special than having a community to lean on when someone's going through a hard time and to have a community to celebrate with you when someone's going through a great time. And we just want everyone to experience the thriving place that it is. And that to see, you know, it's amazing. I will never forget um, um, Rabbi of Efrat. He started Lincoln Square. Rabbi Riskin. His, um, he has a you know longstanding relationship with the shul. And I remember his wife came over to me. This was before COVID. And she said, I have to tell you, I love walking into the shul now and seeing so many strollers. She said, I used to walk in. There was a point where I would see, let's say, more wheelchairs. But she said, now, she said, for a community to be a real community, there needs to be both. It needs to be a place where everybody's welcomed, from the littlest members to the oldest members and everything in between. So my goal for the shul is that it should be a thriving community where people come and feel like we have a place now. We have friends. I'm going through something hard. This, there's, you know, like we laugh. We have like the shul mommy. We have different characters in our shul that really make up the fiber of our shul and that people should feel that way. They should feel that they have a rabbi and a rabbitson that they can lean on, that we are here for people for whatever it is that they need and that hopefully that can just continue and continue to grow and, you know, be something that people really can enjoy. Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely a, a beautiful thought that for a shul to really feel like a community, then you really need to have all members of that community in there. And hopefully that once you got, I mean, keep growing and it keeps going that direction. So to circle back to the dating conversation we had earlier, I, would you say 94 or 96? 94. <laughs> okay. So when you say 94 shit updates, is that like, if you go on five dates with one person, is that five or is that one? No, Isn't that's one. Oh, so you, so you went out with 93 people before your husband? Yes. Okay. Well, actually I went out with 90, I went out with 92 before my husband, I guess he was 93. We broke up after four dates. I dated someone in between for one or two dates and then I went back out with my husband. So. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. So first of all, how do you know that? Like, how do you know how many people? We'll, we'll just start so, with that. How do you know how many people? Okay. So what I actually would do is I always say like when I was dating, it was so much easier to set people up because I was constantly meeting people. Um, I meet people now too, but I was meeting people that were within the same type of exact you know, religious level, everything as I was. So what I would do is I would make a list every time I was set up with somebody. I would write down their name. I'd write down where they were from. And I would try to set them up. So I actually made six shidduchin because I really enjoyed, I felt like I had a good feel when I would date somebody. Like, I, I think I do have a good a good idea when it comes to setting people up. And um, this was the best way for me to do it. I would meet people in fact, there was one guy, and I think the guys need to hear this. Um, I dated a guy, and he wasn't for me, and I said, he is going to be so good for my friend. He was very easygoing. She was a little bit more of an intense personality, but she was five years older than him. She was from a Sephardic background, and her parents were divorced. And those were three things he said that he would never date. He didn't want someone from a divorced family. He didn't want Sephardic background because he was Ashkenaz. He didn't want somebody older than him. And I was so annoyed and so pushy. I called his rabbis. I called his mentors. I called everyone I could. I said, he needs to get on a date with her because he is going to meet her and he is going to be crazy about her. And finally, finally, being pushy enough, he agreed. And the rest was history. They, he, it, he was chasing her as soon as he met her, which I knew he would. So you never, you really never know. 
you might marry something totally out of your, out of what you thought you would. Okay. Wow. And so 94, uh, is a high number, I would say. I mean, I hope you can agree with that now that, you know, you're married and happily married and everything. And so I'm wondering how did you, a lot of our listeners, I'm sure are people who are single and, you know, maybe have dated that many people, maybe have dated it. I mean, if you date people for longer then it could feel like 94 and, and maybe even worse if it's like long and then it ends. Right. So what is your advice for people to stay motivated, to keep going as soon as that number starts to climb? Yeah. The most important thing I think I would say is something that Rebetzin Heller, she's in Israel, had told one of my friends. My friend was dating and she said, all right, whatever, I guess like it will come at some point. And Rebetzin Heller looked at her and said, dating is not a waiting room. So my friend said, what do you mean? She said, dating is not a waiting room. You're not sitting around in a doctor's office just like waiting to be called whatever. She said, you cannot waste your life just sitting around and waiting. You need to be productive at every stage of your life. And when somebody's married, they're productive in a certain way. When you have kids, you can be productive in a different way. And when you're single, there's things that you will not be able to do when you are in those next stages of life. So don't spend the whole time. And I know that's easier said than done. It can be very depressing. It can be very hard. You can have a serious long thing that ends and you thought you were getting married and now you're not yet. But utilize this time. Take trips that you won't be able to take when you're you know, take this extra time that you have and do things that you won't be able to do as freely and easily when you don't have extra time. So I think the best thing is to not view it as a waiting room. View this time in your life as an opportunity. And God willing, this time will pass and you will find that right one. But there's going to always be challenges. You're going to get married and there's going to be new challenges. And then people are going to be having babies before you and much easier than you and whatever the next step is. So really every stage of our lives, we have to just use that moment and utilize it the best that we can. Yeah, I mean, I think that was definitely a very clip-worthy message. Uh, as someone who now creates clips for this podcast, I think that's definitely going to be up there. Kind of like, you think like you have this challenge and then when you're done, that's it. But first of all, it's like you said, like you shouldn't be viewed as a waiting room, but it also, there's, there's always new stuff. There's always new things coming up and there's always new ways to be productive. And without challenges, then life would kind of be boring. So it's, it's definitely and whatever idea. tools that you develop in each stage, you're just going to need those tools for the next stage. So when you learn resiliency in dating, that's going to help you be resilient when you're dealing with other struggles because life has its way of keep, keep sending them, you know, <laughs> you get your breaks and then you get your new challenges. For sure. Once again, a brief message from our sponsor, OKClarity.com. The Mopod is sponsored by OKClarity.com. OKClarity.com is a great place for NHU to find a top-notch therapist, psychiatrist, coach, or nutritionist, and it's completely free for you to use. If you're a wellness professional, definitely check out okclarity.com and consider joining their directory. Their team is amazing and professionals receive referrals effortlessly. If you have WhatsApp, shoot them a message at 917-426-1495. Again, that's 917-426-1495. Back to the Mopod. So we're going to move on to a segment we do here called the Mopod Lightning Round, where I'm just going to fire off some quick questions and you tell me the first thing that comes to your head. You ready? Okay. How many suitcases have you owned in your lifetime? Two. What makes a great shul? Warmth. Sincerity. What is something underrated about the East Side? Uh, it's coffee shops and beauty. What is the best brand of water bottles? 
I'm going to say Poland Spring. That's a good answer. Is Fifth Avenue Synagogue on Fifth Avenue? It's like three doors down off of Fifth Avenue. I knew the answer to that one. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Lisa, for coming on the Mopod. Anything else you want our listeners to know before we sign off? No, I just, you know, I really, I'm sure you have a lot of people that are single or trying and, um, you know, I'm really, I'm here for you. If, if I can help anybody in any way, um, I really do mean it when I say it's a very sincere, loving community and um, don't hesitate to reach out. If you're looking for something, you're looking for some sort of community, spirituality, um, classes, anything, we're definitely here for you. And I know life can be challenging, so you got to definitely surround yourself with good people as you go through that. As you go through life, where could people find you and the shul? So we are actually in the middle as we're doing our renovations. We're also redoing our website. So we're going to have our website is 5as.org. Um, you can find me on Instagram easily, Lisa Babbage 9. Um, and you can reach out to me, my husband. Our webs, our emails are on the shul website. So it's easy to find us through any of those ways. All right. Thanks so much. Pop the volume. Thank you.